my goodness, everybody looks so wonderful. Uh, Tis the season for change at Antioch. Everybody say amen. Uh, Now here, let me just go ahead and say it. All of you are here on a holiday weekend, which means that you are more spiritual than everybody else. So just take a deep breath and just be like you're winning at something today, all right? Like you beat somebody. I don't know who it is, but you, we, you beat them uh, because you came to church on a holiday weekend. But hey, this is what I know. Change always equals pain. Have you noticed this? That anytime something changes, it, it has an effect on us. And how we respond to that will often determine how we experience the change we're in the middle of. Now, we have a big vision here at our church, and I want to encourage you to make sure that you are here October 10th when we have what we like to call Vision Sunday. It's one day a year. We kind of push pause and we say, let's all get on the same page for what God is calling us to believe for and build towards here at Antioch. And it's going to be a super exciting time. And what you're going to hear in detail on the 10th is that we believe that we're a church that is called to reach our entire city. There's a phrase that that we're going to be saying a lot around here is that we exist so all may know. And for us to do that, we need to have church locations all over the city. And we used to have a North Campus before COVID. We really did. It's not just something that we, some of you haven't been going to our church for a year. You're like, I don't know. I don't believe it. And, and, And rightfully so, but we used to. And I'm excited to tell you, that that North Campus is launching on October 10th. Okay? Super exciting, super exciting. Now, how we're going to do that is that on October 3rd, we're going to have kind of like a dry run Sunday where we're not going to invite everybody and their mom. It's just the people that we are kind of on our launch team. So we can hopefully try to figure out everything that we thought was going to work that doesn't work before people show up and have a terrible time, okay? That's really what it is. But for us to do not one location, but to do two locations, and for me to be able to preach at both live, we are going to then need to shift our service times to what they were pre-pandemic, okay? And yeah, this is exciting. I know some of you are like, oh, you know, especially here at the South Campus, you're like, I know what's coming. I know what's coming. Yeah, you're right. October 3rd, church will not be at 10 o'clock at this location. It will be at 9 o'clock. Thank you for your enthusiasm on this side of the room. Okay? October 3rd, church at our South Campus will be at 9 a.m. And then church at our North Campus will be at 11 a.m. All right? Thank you. This is a good side. So on October 3rd, there will be a change. I know it hurts. 9 a.m. service here in the South, 11 a.m. service in the North. And the reason we're doing it is so that all may know. All right? It's so that all may know. No, and, and truthfully, that's what this whole series of talks that we've been doing for the past couple of weeks has been about. How do we live our lives in a way so that this grand vision of seeing Jesus impact and influence every area of our city 
and for the gospel of Jesus to be declared to all who are willing to hear in the city of Austin, and we believe then the nations of the world, for that big grand vision to not just be something that we talk about, but to actually be something that we live in the middle of, there has to be a simple process that we can all remember and live by so that that vision begins to get traction. Are you with me? And so we have spent the past few weeks saying, okay, what does it look like for us to live so that all may know? And so we said, okay, hey, let's just bless those who are around us. Everybody say bless. And we've used the word bless as a launching pad for us into these simple things. When we say bless, we're like, man, I want to begin to pray for those who are around me. I want to listen to their story. I want to encourage them. I want to serve them. And today we're going to lean into what does it mean for us to share Jesus with them. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me to, uh, excuse me, Matthew 13. Matthew 13. If you've been with us for this entire series, thank you for coming every week. This is going to seem familiar because this is the passage that has really framed this entire series, and it is known as the parable of the sower. This is what it says in Matthew 13, verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Sounds like a good day. You know, anytime you can, if you live, I mean, Jesus had a lake house. Can I get an amen? He he left the house and he went and sat on the lake. That's what I'm talking about. Now, such a large crowd gathered around him that he got into a boat and he was a boat owner. Can I get an amen? And, And got into, actually, he just knew people who had boats because that is better. Okay, so he, he got into a boat and he sat in it when all the people stood on the shore. And then he told them many things in parables. Remember, we had been talking often about how Jesus would tell these stories that paint pictures for us to better understand what does the kingdom of heaven actually look like when it is living, moving, and activating in those who are around and hearing about it. And so this is one of the parables that he was sharing to the people who were crowding on the beach. A farmer went out to sow a seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up, and some fell on rocky places where they did not have much soil. And it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they were withered because they had no root, and other seeds fell among the thorns which grew up and choked the plants out and still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. What we found is that this parable that Jesus is sharing is to help us see how the kingdom of heaven is received into human hearts. Jesus is saying, this is how it works. And this is also a picture for us, not just that we are to be seed sowers, but what we've been talking about is that it's a picture that we are also have an invitation to be ground preparers. That good soil becomes good soil because it's been cultivated. That, that soil has to be worked. It has to be 
tilled. And, 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 and the process of believing and beginning to pray for somebody and then listening to their story and encouraging them and speaking life into areas of their life that feels dead and then serving them, getting into the mess of their life, crossing the street from what we were doing and being able to see what is happening around us, what it's doing is preparing the soil of their soul so that when the seed of the gospel is sown, that it begins to bear fruit. Last week, I, I teased a story that, uh, kind of from this hunting trip that I went on uh, two weeks ago in the mountains of Arizona. Uh, it, it was a phenomenal, kind of a trip of a lifetime kind of a situation. And I know some of you want to leave the church right now because I'm a hunter and I'm sorry, but the doors are in the back. Um, some of you don't like that kind of humor and that's okay. You can talk to Chris Ott's, email him at chris.ott's at antiochatx.com. He handles all, all opposition to humor. Okay, so, <clears throat> so here's the deal. I went on this trip with two very experienced people that do this sort of thing literally all the time. Their job is to go on these trips and actually document them for these hunters that potentially you've seen on TV. All right, this is what they do. They are extremely good at reading maps, knowing what their GPS says. And at the beginning of the trip, I would be sitting next to them being so attentive because I didn't want to get lost in the mountains. You hear what I'm saying? And I'm like, wow, I need to pay attention. And so I'm marking on my GPS where we're going and I'm making sure that I know where everything is and I know where we're headed and I'm looking at what things are supposed to look like and what are marks that we should run into and all these different things. But towards the end of the trip, I realized like, dude, we're always together and these dudes are better at reading maps than me. So I'm just gonna, I'm gonna take a nap in the back of the truck, let them figure it out. When they say it's time to go, I'll wake up, put my pack on and let's roll. Now we, we were having a day of days. If you've never done anything like this, basically think about it like this. Put on the heaviest weight vest you can ever find and then do about a thousand step-ups in the morning and then do a thousand step-ups in the evening. And that's almost as hard as what we were doing. I mean, we are climbing mountains at nine, 10,000 feet. You can't breathe. Your legs are burning. My feet, I didn't know my feet could hurt that bad. It is hard. It was extremely hard. And, and we were worn out. Now we had heard, we weren't having any luck, but we had heard, man, you know what you got to do if you want to have luck on these? You got to get to where nobody else is. You got to go far, far, far into the bush. And so, man, we hike and hike and hike and hike. And we find this mountain. Actually, I didn't find it. My buddy Bowen found it. And, and it looked like a really great place. And so we climbed this mountain. Now, you got to understand, we climbed almost 1,500 feet in 0.7 miles. And what that means is it was like this. It was steep. And when we looked at it, it didn't look sketchy because there had been some new growth that had, got, that had been covering up the rocks that try to kill you. <laughs> so you take a step and, and all of the green stuff smushes down and you land on a rock that begins to roll and slide and we are falling and slipping and man, we are out of breath. We are dying and we finally get to the top and we're like, man, there better be some deer up here or I'm gonna be angry. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is hard. 
Now, we got our binoculars on, and we're looking, we're looking, and of course, we see no deer. There's nothing up there. Everything has left. And so we're kind of just killing time, waiting for dark, and I'm looking, I'm like, oh, my goodness. Guys, I think I found an elk shed, which is, you know, elk are these giant, beautiful animals, and every year their antlers fall off, and sometimes you can find them. And I'm like, I think I found an elk shed. And so we all start focusing on it. They're like, dude, I don't think that's an elk shed. I think that's an entire elk skull and his antlers still attached. And we're like, you know, you got to be kidding me. Now, it's pretty far from us, so we couldn't really see, but we end up hiking down, and this is what we find. Look at that thing. Crazy. Now, get some perspective of how big that thing is. Go to the next one. Look at that on my back, all right? So now I have to hike down that same sketchy mountain, okay, with all of that on my back. It was a good idea before I put the pack on, right? Now, here's the thing. We're making our way down, and I am working hard, understatement of the year. I am working hard. I am falling. I've got bruises to, to this day from a couple of the falls that I took on, on that hike down. But when we get down to the forest floor, it goes from being dusk to dark. And all of a sudden, I hear on my radio, hey, J.D., where are you? And I radio back, hey, Bowen, where are you? I thought we were together. No, man, you veered off course. I thought you saw something. No, I didn't see anything. I thought I was next to you. Well, where are you? I don't know where I am, dude. Well, did you put a mark on your GPS? No, because you always know where you're going. Hey, put your flashlight up in the air. Let's see if we can see it. Yeah, I can't see your flashlight. Um, at that point, I'm like, I'm going to die in the woods. Like, this is it. Let me call Liz, say goodbye to the kids. It's game over, man. Like, I'm going to get eaten by mountain lion wolves. It's game over. I love being into the woods, but I don't like being lost in the woods. You hear me? And when it's dark in the forest, man, it is hard to figure out where the heck you are. And so I'm walking around. They're like, dude, it seemed like that you moved too far to the right. You need to walk left. So I start walking left. Now, I had a handheld GPS, and so I'm walking. Here's what's crazy. I could have sworn to you I was going in a straight line, and I can see myself on the GPS going in circles. You want to freak yourself out? I'm like, I am literally walking in circles. I know I'm walking in circles, and I don't know how to fix it. And so I'm just like looking down and I'm going, oh my gosh, and panic is ensuing. It's five minutes, it's 10 minutes, it's 15 minutes, it's 20 minutes. It goes from, oh, JD's a little bit off course to JD lives here now. <laughs> and I'm focused, I'm focused on my, my little GPS system and I'm walking and I'm walking and I'm walking and I smack into a barbed wire fence. I'm talking about full stride boom, into a barbed wire fence. In my frustration and pain, I get back on my radio and I said, you'll never believe it. I just ran into a fence. <laughs> and they radio back, dude, we're on the fence. They're like, hey, go left, go left. Stay on the fence and go left. So I'm walking and I'm walking and I'm walking and then about 400 yards from where I was, I see the lights peering through the trees of the UTV, and I didn't die. <laughs> Here's what I learned as I was wandering around frustrated, embarrassed, 
How in the world are you going to get lost in the woods, man? I had a map in my hand. And I still needed those guys to put words to what I was seeing to tell me the direction that I needed to head. I had the map. I had a GPS. But I needed them to put words to what I was seeing so that I could know where I needed to head. Hear me, there are people in our lives, maybe you here today, and you feel like you are walking in circles. You're carrying around weight that is wearing you out, pushing you down. You are stressed out of your mind, worn out. It feels like you have run into yet another wall a barbed wire fence of life. And they don't need us to walk around and just throw a map at them. You hearing me? This is why when you fly over a village and we just drop a bunch of Bibles, it doesn't mean that that village has been saved. We gave them the map. But we need people to share with us so that we can understand the map that's in front of us. Romans 10, 11 puts it this way. Anyone who believes in him, speaking of Jesus, will never be put to shame, for there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all. Can I get an amen? And he richly blesses all who call on his name. For everyone who calls on his name, the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14, how then can they call on the one that they have not believed and how can they believe in the one who they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So what does this passage say about us? We are ground preparers and we are seed sowers. We have to be those who are Jesus preachers. Why? Because how can they call on the one who they have not believed in and how can they believe in the one who they have not heard and how can they hear unless someone preaches to them? Jesus in John 14, verse 6, says it this way. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Can I just cut through the cloudiness of culture for about three minutes? Can you hang in there with me for three minutes? Let me make a bold declaration. We are not humanist. We are not universalist. We are Christians. Can I say that one more time? And then I'm going to unpack it for you. We're not humanist. We're not building a worldview constructed around the idea that man is inherently good and we are on a moral path to try to unpack the goodness that is within us. We are not humanist. We are not universalist. 
We do not believe in a universal truth that you can worship any God and it will bring you to the one true God because truth is relative to your experience and your cultural outcome. We are not universalists. We are Christians, which means that we believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. Hear me. The gospel of Jesus is divisive in nature. Jesus will divide you from the culture that is around you. Why? Because Jesus puts the question in front of us, are you with me or are you against me? That's Jesus. Are you with me or are you against me? This is going to push against the cultural stream of humanism and universalism that is not just running rampant within culture, unfortunately. It is seeping its way into churches that are afraid of the division that happens when the gospel is preached. Clarity brings hope. Clarity does not bring destruction. We will clearly stand on the gospel at this church. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As long as I'm standing on this stage, if it makes me popular or if it gets me killed, we will preach Jesus. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. Because look, no other belief system deals with our sin problem. The Bible says in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I don't know if it's just because I'm getting older but I am coming very, very close in my mind to understanding, you know what? I actually do believe it. I didn't believe it when I was 20, but when I'm 40, I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna die. You know, when you're 20, it's like a faint thing. Like, I don't know, maybe. Can we just be honest at church? Because that's how we live. When we're 20 years old, you live like, I'm gonna die. I think back at some of the stuff I did when I was 20, I'm like, I should be dead. But now that I'm 40, I'm like, yeah, like I'm going to die. I, got, I, I, I hate to give bad news at church, but you're going to die too. Like it's coming. It's coming for me. It's coming for you. And we don't know when it's coming. We have no idea when death will come knocking on our door, but it's coming. And we will be held accountable for our lives here on earth. Everything that you did or didn't do, say and didn't say. Everything in your life that is in opposition to the fruit of the spirit and the, 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 the moral map that God has laid out for us in scripture, we will be held accountable for those things. 
And our life is filled with sin. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. And therefore, what our sin has earned us is death, eternal separation from God. Hear me, being a good person doesn't get you to heaven. I don't, I don't care what the Amigos said in their rap song. Some of y'all don't even know who the Amigos are. That's for the kids. I'm keeping it real, keeping it fresh. I being a good person doesn't do anything for you. Morality cannot fix your sin problem. Morality does not pay the debt of sin. So when you're looking at Jesus at the end of it all, he's not going to ask you, yo, were you a good person? He's going to say, do, do I know you? I know this is not a popular message in church. Okay? I'm, I'll be honest with you. It's a guaranteed shrink your service. 100%. You want a smaller church? Throw it out like this. The reason why we're talking about it is because eternity is in the balance. And that God has put you around people that are going to die and spend eternity in hell, separated from the goodness and grace of God. And you praying for them, listening to them, encouraging them, and serving them is not a substitute for you sharing with them. Praying and believing and encouraging and serving and listening, it prepares the human heart to receive the seed. It doesn't replace the human's heart's need for the seed. How else will they know unless someone preaches to them? We are seed sowers. So how then do we preach? This is where it gets a little whoo. Because it's, it's easy to get excited about being a seed sower. It gets a little Goosebumpy when you think about actually doing it. Here's the deal. You know what? God made you. He made you unique, amazing, and beautiful. And God is painting a picture of his glory in the midst of your story. And so what I want to tell you is a way that you can be a seed sower, but it's not the way. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Be, because there isn't the way. Because your story is unique from my story. And listen to Revelation 12, verse 9. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Now listen to verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, 
Now have come the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brother and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. And they triumph over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Do you understand what's happening here in scripture? That we are seeing that how we overcome the devil, Satan, the great scary dragon is by the blood of the lamb, the truth of the gospel and by the word of our testimony, the declaration of God's glory working out in our story. That's how we overcome the devil. And they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Why? Because when you know that your last breath here is your first breath there, oh, death, where is your sting? Revelation 12 frames for us what happens in the unseen. And, and uh, the devil is running around accusing and disrupting and lying to me and to you all day. And his aim is to steal, kill, and destroy everything that God has for you. And we defeat him. We triumph over him by the blood of the lamb, what Jesus did, and by the word of our testimony, the story of God in our Lives And this truth should frame for us a way that we can sow the seed of the gospel to those who are around us. We present the truth of who Jesus is, what he did for us, why we needed him to do it, and the truth of what he's done in our lives. You hearing what I'm saying? We present the truth of who Jesus is, what he did and why he did it, and the story of God's glory in our lives. Some of you have maybe seen this, but in college, I was introduced to these five scriptures that helped me be able to quickly and biblically walk through who Jesus is, what he did, and why we needed him to do it. And it wasn't up to my words. I was leaning on God's words. Can I get an amen? amen. God's better at it than you. Can I go ahead and say that? God's way better at this than we are. This scripture, Romans 3, verse 23, I just memorized these five scriptures. Romans 3, verse 23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. All of us have fallen short. We all need what Jesus did for us. Not some of us, all of us, because without him, the broken depravity that is within us separates us from him. All have sinned, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The consequence of sin is death, but the gift of God is life. 
that yes, death is what we deserve, but life is the free gift that we've been given. Romans 8 or Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still broken, Christ died for us. And all we have to do, Romans 10, verse 9, confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. And you will be saved. And what that means is Romans 5, 1. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Five scriptures. Who Jesus is. What he did and why he did it. We overcome the enemy. People's lives will be changed. The devil will be silenced when they come and hear the story of the lamb, why his blood was shed, and your story of what God has done in your life. You know, there, there's, uh, <laughs> there's these moments every once in a while that we run into where you realize that when Jesus said in John 4, 37, that one sows and another reaps, that sometimes we'll have an encounter and, and we're, 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 we're stepping in on the backside of, of soil that's been prepared by somebody else. Somebody's been praying for them. Someone's been listening to them. Someone's been encouraging them. Somebody's been serving them. And then we go in and we share with them and then they respond to the gospel. And, and I'll never forget in college, like I was trying to learn a holy habit. You know, holy habits can be good things. They're only legalistic if you make it legalistic. It's a holy habit to want to spend time with God every day. That's going to help you. That's not going to hurt you. It's a holy habit to want to see your world through the lens of missional and not selfish. And so I was trying to learn this holy habit of, you know what, I want to try to be somebody who at least engages the people that are around me in some sort of spiritual conversation. And so I was trying to, every person, I went through a little season, every time I was at the grocery store, I would ask the clerk who was checking me out, this was before the prophetic intervention of self-checkout. Can I get an amen? I love freaking self-checkout, dude. I love it. I love it so much. But this was before that is where you had to interact with a human being. And, um, and so I'm at Walmart and I'm a college student. And when do you go grocery shopping in college, right? Midnight. You know, that's when you do it because it's like the most effective time. No one's there. You can move really fast and have fun with your roommates. And so no one's there. There's like one line open. It's midnight at Walmart. You know, it's kind of a little, feels a little sketchy in there, if I'm being honest with you. Like they've turned some of the lights off. Like maybe it should be closed. And and I, I'm just like getting my stuff and I, I just, I'm tired, right? I just want to go home. I just want to go to sleep. And, and I come and immediately I'm like, oh yeah, I need to ask this this lady dadgummit excuse me ma'am um, has anybody ever told you that Jesus loved you she looks at me with these big crocodiles and she's like no I'm caught off guard you know what I'm saying I'm like you're not supposed to say that it's midnight you're supposed to be like yes I go to church and I'm like good what's my total you know what I mean like that's what I wanted 
She was like, no, no one's ever told that to me before. So I was like, man, shoot, what do I say now, you know? Honestly, this is why I memorized those five verses, because in that moment I was just like, oh, yeah, why, why do I follow Jesus? Why, what? Does that ever happen to you? Someone asks you what you believe, and you're like, oh, blah, 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 blah. The reason we don't have words is because we don't practice. And, and so I, I stumble. I mean, I'm talking about the worst presentation of the gospel that's ever been shared. I'm listening to myself. I'm like, I might have just made myself get unsaved. You know what I mean? Like, it was like so bad. I was like, wait, I don't even, I don't, I'm sorry. You know, like I'm, I'm like apologizing to the lady. Like, I promise this is good news. And you can't tell because I am ruining this. And she looked from her cash register as I am brutally, horribly sharing the story of Jesus and who he is and what he did and why he needed to do it and how he's impacted my life. And she looks at me with tears coming down her face. And I was like, do you want to receive Jesus? She says, yes. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. This is like... There is a God because if you, <laughs> you know what? I've lost contact with her, but I wish I wouldn't have because I wish I could have asked her, hey, has somebody been praying for you? And I guarantee you, yes. Has someone been listening to you? Yes. Has someone been speaking life into your life? Yes. Has someone been serving you? Yes. So I just happened to be the person that was on the fence line when she had run into the fence and said, hey, you need to go this way. And so she turned from where she was going and she started following Jesus because sometimes we reap and sometimes we sow. But we have to sow. Are you hearing me? How else will they hear unless we share with them? How will they know unless we preach to them? Yeah, we bless those who are around us. We pray for them. We listen to them. We're, we, 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 we say, you know, we're ground preparers. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prepare the soil of the people around me. And I, I might even mention Jesus and they might be like, ah, oh, dude, that's not my deal. That's cool, cool, cool. That doesn't turn me off. It turns my prayers on. You know, around here, we call, we call it our two for 52, two people that you're believing to, to come to church with you over this next year. And it's like one of my two for 52, I can't, even, I can't even burp Jesus around him without that dude rejecting it. Like he is, he is, he is a path, that seed is just, right? But, but his hardness does not deter me. It, his hardness turns the prayer on in me. God, would you prepare the soil? Would you, would you, would you soften that up so that when that seed hits it, that it's going to fall into a good place. But I have to share the seed, though. You hearing me? We're not just ground preparers. We are seed sowers. I want you to do this. I want you to stand to your feet. Because there are two things that we want to respond to today. Two places where we want to lean in together. One is this really leaning into the Lord right now. If you would call yourself a Christian, if you follow Jesus and say, God, who is my neighbor? Who am I gonna begin to love? 
Remember, we've been talking about what, what does it mean to love Jesus? It means to love God with your whole heart, your whole mind, your soul, and your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So who's your neighbor? Who are you going to begin to pray for? Who are you going to listen to? Who are you going to encourage? Who are you going to serve? And who are you going to share with? You need to identify that person right now. You need to know their name. And you need to faithfully begin to pray for them. You need to listen to them. You need to encourage them and serve their socks off so that when you share with them, their heart has been softened. But I also know that some of you in this room or some of you that are watching online don't know Jesus. I don't know what got you here. I don't know what brought you here. Maybe a friend, maybe need, maybe pain, maybe frustration. And you're just like, I'm going to try out church. And I want you to hear that Jesus loves you. He loves you so much that his, he gave his only son. God gave his only son, Jesus, for you. But you need to know that you've sinned and you've fallen short of the glory of God. Not just you, me too. You need to understand that that sin has earned you death, but there's a gift that you can receive today. And that gift is life in Christ Jesus. Jesus loves you so much that while you were still in the middle of your junk, the stuff that you were doing that separates you from him, that he died for you and all you have to do and all I had to do to step from death into life is to confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead and I was saved and you will be saved as well and when you do that you will be justified you will be justified and you will have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. And if you want to do that, if you want to confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he is and did what he did and you understand why he needed to do it, and you want to give your life to him and you say, I'm tired of running my own race. I'm going to surrender myself to Jesus right now, either online or in this room. I want you just to close your eyes. I want you to ask yourself a very important question. If I die, do I know what's going to happen for sure? And if you want to know and you don't know and you want to make Jesus your Lord, I want you right now to raise your hand. Amen. Anybody else? Anybody else? Come on. Amen. I see you. If you raise your hand, I want you to pray this after me. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. My life is yours. I no longer want to try to make my own way and be better. I want you to come and to fill my heart with the Holy Spirit so that I could begin to live from the fruit of the Spirit and not the fruit of myself. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on. Can we